Hello, church. How's everybody today? All right, we're so excited for you to be here today. Welcome to Epic Church. For those of you that are on campus, for those of you that are online, thank you so much for tuning in to us today. And uh, I'm really excited about today because we get to begin uh, a new discussion around this idea of the kingdom of God. And normally what we do at Epic is we kind of take a, either a passage of scripture or a character in the Bible or a topic and we kind of unpack it in a series that's several weeks long. And uh, this, this particular series is kind of like that, although it's more going to be like one message in three parts, okay? And the reason it's going to be in three parts is because if I were to teach it all today, it would take about three hours and about 40 minutes into it, you all would get up and leave and you would go find your lunch today and our children's workers would be showing up and they'd be throwing pencils and markers and all kind of stuff at me, telling me to wrap it up and let's get on with it, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to begin a thought today on this idea of the kingdom of God and we're going to continue it uh, for the next three weeks or today and then the next two weeks. And here's some of the things that we're going to, we're going to be talking about, okay? We're going to unpack today what I call the message of the kingdom uh, or the message of Jesus' kingdom. You can put it that way. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the invitation of Jesus' kingdom. And then on June the 27th, we're going to unpack this idea of the impact of Jesus' kingdom. And if you want to kind of get an idea where that comes from, I would encourage you to read Matthew chapter number four in your Bible. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 17 today, and that's going to kind of be, be where we ha we're going to hang our hat for, um, for our foundational pastor scripture. But you can read a few passages down from that, and you'll see kind of some things that we're going to unpack over the, over the next couple of weeks or so, okay? So before we dive into this particular talk, let's talk just a minute about this idea of the kingdom of God. What does that phrase uh, mean? Um, sometimes you'll see in scripture, Jesus uses the kingdom of God, uh, particularly in our, our pastor scripture today, Jesus is gonna talk about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so when you see that word kingdom of God or that phrase kingdom of heaven, they really are synonymous phrases that mean basically um, the same thing, okay? But practically, let me help you understand a little bit of a background when it comes to this idea of, of a kingdom, okay? Specifically as it relates to God's word. Uh, you can take this idea of kingdom and you can basically break it down into four ideas. Uh, number one, uh, you'll see in the early part of your Bible that uh, the kingdom of God has to do with what I call the universal reign of God over all creation. And in Genesis chapter number one, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created it. He brought order to it. So it makes sense that he rules and reigns over it, okay, as, uh, as the creator. Uh, another way that you'll see the word um, kingdom used is in a direct reference to the nation of Israel. Um, and uh, we know that uh, the nation of Israel is a specific race of people that God chose when he started that nation through a guy by the name of Abraham. And God told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to be your God and you will be 
my people. So for thousands and thousands of generations, the Jewish race, the people that we know as the nation of Israel, they are known as as God's people. Uh, So when you see a phrase like the kingdom of Israel, uh, that's a specific reference to God's relationship specifically with the nation of Israel. And when God established the, the Jewish race, the Hebrew race, he designed it to be what we call in the theological world a theocracy. And basically what that means is it is, is a people that is ruled by God. God's desire was to be their leader, was to be their king and to be their ruler and for them to relate into God uh, that way. Even in the period of time in the nation of Israel when they had human kings like King Solomon and King Saul and King David, everybody still understood and knew that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the one true king of the kingdom of the nation of Israel. Another way that you'll find this idea of the kingdom of God talked about in scripture Um, And this is probably the most common perception that most people have when you think about the kingdom of of God. For me, it it was a perception that I had for a long, long time. When you read your Bible and you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, sometimes he's referencing something or a period of time in the future that's going to happen when he comes back as king of kings and lord of lords and he established his eternal kingdom once and for all and he rules and reigns as king jesus and as as messiah and certainly that is part of what the bible talks about when it talks about the kingdom of god Uh, But there's a different aspect that sometimes we don't consider, and this is what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks, because uh, where we're going to begin today in Matthew chapter number four, and we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, or when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the present rule of of, of Christ, the present rule of Christ in the lives of his people. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and he talks about the kingdom of God in the New Testament part of our Bible, a lot of times he's talking about his relationship with his followers and how he wants to, to lead them and guide them to live within the context of his teachings, okay? So this is gonna be uh, the idea that we're gonna begin with today, and this is what we're gonna kind of build a foundation on today, and we're gonna explore the next three weeks is what it looks like for us to live in relationship with Jesus, for us to allow him uh, to rule in our lives as our king, okay? So let me give you a working definition for the next three weeks, starting today, okay? This idea of the kingdom of God is very simply what I call the reign of Jesus Christ as Lord and King in our daily lives. The reign of Jesus Christ as Lord and King in our daily lives. And I don't know what what comes to your mind when you think about that, but when you think about this idea of somebody reigning, of somebody being our Lord, and of somebody being our King, the first thing that kind of comes to mind with me is that if that's gonna be a reality in my life, I've gotta give up some kind of control in my life. I've gotta surrender 
myself to this person who wants to reign in my life, to this person who wants to be my Lord and my King. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes that's hard for me to do as a human being, especially somebody of the male species. I don't like to be ruled and reigned by anything or anybody. Can I get an amen right there? All right, let's just be real. Let's just be honest. We don't like to give up control of certain things or anything in our life. My wife, Karen, is my best friend, and we've been married 30 years. But the very first year of our marriage, if she were to come on stage today, she would tell you it was a very, very hard year for us. We were young and naive. We didn't have a clue what it meant to be in relationship with each other as husband and wife. Uh, We dated uh, throughout all of our high school years, so we loved our dating experience. But how many of you know that the very first time you wake up to your spouse the very next morning after you've said, I do, and you know you're going to be with this person 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know that things change really quick, don't they? Uh, You see a side of them that you've never seen before, okay? And, and And the first year of our marriage was really, really hard. And there were several different times where we just felt like, you know what, what's the use? We're going to throw in the towel. It's not worth it. And we almost, we almost didn't make it through that first year. There's one particular time where we had an argument, and I don't remember what we were, we were arguing about, but we were getting pretty heated with each other. And I, I just remember a few um, things that were said. And one of the things that she basically said to me was something along the lines, well, you just need to, and then she told me what she felt like I needed to do. And here's what I said to her you're not the boss of me. And I added, you're not my mother. Now, let me stop right there for just a minute, okay? If there's any young people in the audience or you're watching online, you're thinking about getting married or maybe you're engaged, let me give you some advice from Pastor Brian today, okay? Don't ever, ever, ever bring your mother into a conversation with your wife if you're having an argument, especially in the early years of your marriage because it will not end up well for you. I distinctly remember spending the night on the couch that night. Why did I say that? Because I didn't want her to be the boss of me. I didn't want her to tell me what I could do and what I couldn't do. And that's how we are sometimes in our lives. And it's our human nature uh, to want to be in control and to try to live life on our, uh, on our own terms and, and, and do our, our own things. Here's our bottom line thought for this series, and this is something I want to encourage you to lean into as we unpack this idea of the kingdom of God over the next three weeks, okay? Uh, Our bottom line thought for this series is this right here. The kingdom of God is about kingdom people living according to kingdom principles. The kingdom of God is about kingdom people living according to kingdom principles, Now, primarily, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and the the principles that he wants us to live by, he's talking to his followers. But if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and, and maybe you're checking out church or you don't understand everything about Christianity or maybe there's just some stuff going on in your life that you know is not right and maybe you're kind of exploring faith and all that kind of stuff, listen, uh, you can learn a lot from this particular series and what I hope you will understand and realize today is your need to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those of us that are Christ followers, I hope that we will learn over the next three weeks how 
how important it is for us to lean into the teachings of Jesus and to be willing to follow his lead in our lives. Because here's the bottom line. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we invite him to be our Lord and to be our Savior, we ask him to forgive us of our sins, his desire is to take up residence in our life, which he promises to do, to give us his spirit, to lead us and guide us. And literally his desire is to rule and reign in our life as Lord and as King. And the moment we say yes to Jesus, we are adopted into the family or the kingdom of God. Uh, listen to what uh, the apostle John said in Revelation chapter number one, in verses five and six. He's talking about Jesus. Remember the whole book of Revelation uh, is, is that Jesus revealed himself to the apostle John and he asked John to write down what I'm showing you about future events and specifically some things about Jesus himself. And in Revelation chapter one and verse five, John says this, it says to him, talking about Jesus, who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. That phrase right there is the good news of the gospel message in just a few words. John is recognizing that Jesus Christ, who loved us and has set us free by our, from our sins by his blood, when he shed his blood on Calvary's cross. And look here, and made us a kingdom. He made us a kingdom people when we said yes to his sacrificial death on the cross. Revelation 1 and verse 9, John says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, in kingdom and in perseverance in Jesus. So he's saying in a relationship with Jesus, even in the trials of life, even in the tribulation that we face in life, we are part of a kingdom people because of our relationship with Jesus. And then in chapter five, verses number nine and 10 of the book of Revelation, he said this, talking about Jesus, he said, you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Again, he's talking about the finished work that Jesus accomplished when he died on a cross, when he was buried in a tomb, and when he resurrected from the grave. He says, you redeem people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. So when Jesus comes along in the first century, we'll look at this in just a minute, Matthew chapter number four, when Jesus comes along and he begins to publicly announce this idea of a kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the first century Jews that Jesus was talking to would have understood full well this idea or this concept of a kingdom because their entire history as a people uh, was built around this idea of kingdom life. It was, it was regular uh, part of their daily life to, to, to have a king or a queen who ruled and reigned with authority in their existence. Uh, their history was filled, even during the time when the kingdom was split, where you had the, the, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, uh, they would have understood kingdom life because of the human kings uh, that God allowed them to have. 
Matter of fact, if you read in the Old Testament part of your Bible, there are four books, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, that all they do is chronicle and tell us about the events of the nation of Israel and all of the earthly kings that they had. So this idea of kingdom life would have been something that Jesus' audience would have understood very well when he came on the scene and started talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. But the nation of Israel missed him. And the first century Jews missed what Jesus was talking about because they were expecting Jesus, the Messiah, to come and to to rule and reign the way that they had seen other empires being ruled and reigned, which is most of the time with power and with prominence and with influence. Uh, When Jesus showed up on the scene, it was at the height of the Roman Empire, and they understood very well how how they could be dominated by power, by influence, and by position by a a human kingdom or by a human empire. Uh, Several weeks ago, I came across an article from Forbes magazine uh, that rated the seven most influential empires of all of human history or kingdoms and their leaders. And you may or may not be familiar with some of these people. I thought it was interesting. And just to kind of help us get some framework for what we're talking about, this idea of kingdom life and, and how, 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 how people have ruled and reigned throughout empires and how empires have dominated territories and people throughout all of human history. Number one on the list is Julius Caesar. And if you know anything about the New Testament part of the Bible, you understand that Jesus lived uh, during the height of the reign of the the Roman Empire. And it was Julius Caesar who led or or, or basically brought the Roman Empire to prominence in the known world at that particular time. Uh, Second on the list is a guy by the name of Ken Shi Huang. He's from China. He's Chinese. And he basically is the father of, uh, of the modern state, what we know the modern state and the practices of the modern state uh, of the land of China today. Number three on the list is a guy by the name of Peter the Great. Uh, if you remember history from your history classes, Peter the Great modernized Russia and brought them to the world scene as a dominant world power. Number four on the list is a guy by the name of Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, he was kind of a spiritual leader that uh, is credited with helping the nation of India become their own nation and establishing themselves on the world scene. Number five on the list was a guy by the name of Napoleon. You remember Napoleon? Napoleon basically conquered uh, most of Europe. And then number um, six was an interesting one that I just didn't really uh, wasn't aware of, but it, after I did a little bit of research, it made sense. Number six on the list is the American president, Theodore Roosevelt. And Teddy Roosevelt used the powers, the first American president to use the power of the United States as it grew to gain American influence literally all over the world. And then number seven on the list, and I thought this was really, really interesting because it just makes sense when you think about this idea of the worldview that people have of the leadership of an empire that leads with power and prominence and position. Number seven on the list is every other American president since 1945. 
How many of you have ever heard that the American president is the most powerful person on planet Earth? I've heard that all my life. I believe that to be true because of the kingdom influence or the kingdom power that the United States of America is. And you and I are privileged to be, to be a part of that. Uh, but that idea of kingdom power stands in stark contrast uh, to what Jesus talked about when Jesus talked about a kingdom. You see, the worldview of a kingdom power has to do with dominating people and exploiting people to get what you want from them or to get your way. Jesus' kingdom, on the other hand, had to do with this idea of transformation and service. And that's what we're going to talk about in this series. And I'm personally of the opinion, having been alive on planet Earth for 50 years and living all 50 of those years in the United States of America, I personally am of the opinion that at this particular point in our nation, in our history, in our country, we would do well to learn some things from some other empires throughout all of human history. Because here's what you learn from other empires throughout all of human history is that anytime God is absent from public life and you rely on a man-made construct of society that says man gets to determine what's right and what's wrong, that man gets to determine what's good and what's evil, that man gets to determine the value of life, history proves empire after empire, kingdom after kingdom, that it never ends well with that ideology. And the United States of America would do well to learn some lessons from history. I'm also of the opinion that the greatest need that we have in our nation today, the greatest need that we have in our nation today is a heart change. And I'm not talking about a heart change amongst the pagans. I'm not talking about a heart change on Capitol Hill talking about a heart change with me. I'm talking about a heart change with you. And I think if Jesus would physically stand on stage today, he would say, if my kingdom is going to flourish in the world today, it's going to take a heart change of his followers and a heart change of his people. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The biblical word for that is this right here? What's that word? Repentance. It's not a popular word in our culture, in our society today. And Jesus understood and knew that in his day that it wouldn't be a popular message. But you know what he knew and understood? It was a necessary message. It wouldn't be popular, but it would be necessary. So today we're going to talk about the message of Jesus' kingdom. And I don't know about you, where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. Let me just tell you my personal experience with Jesus, all right? My personal experience with Jesus is that, is that from time to time, the longer that I serve him, the longer that I follow him, and the longer that I try to live according to his teachings and his principles and live with under his rule and reign in my life, Jesus often does a good job at offending me and stepping on my toes. 
and getting me outside of my comfort zone. And we learned last series, Trent talked about the idea that Jesus is much more interested in our character than he is our comfort. Remember Trent talking to us about that? And the reason Jesus is more interested in our character is in our comfort is because he wants us to realize and understand that the only hope that we have of living a life victorious over sin, over death, over hell and the grave is to be in a right relationship with him and to surrender and submit ourselves to him once and for all. And because of the finished work of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross, you and I can live under his rule and reign in our life and we can experience the very best life that he has for us. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have life abundantly. He didn't say everything was going to be perfect all the time. He just said, if you'll live under my rule and my reign, if you'll live according to my teachings and my principles, you will experience the best life possible. And I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, but here's what I know. If you'll surrender to him, if you'll submit to him, if you'll confess your faults and your failures, Jesus will bring you into his kingdom. And and if we will submit ourselves to his rule and his reign, we will experience the best outcome possible. So let me remind you what our definition of, of the kingdom of God is. The definition of the kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus Christ as Lord and King in our life. There are three key words in that definition. One is reign, the other is Lord, the other is King. When I think about somebody who reigns, I think about somebody who has authority. When I think about somebody who is Lord, I think about somebody who is first place in everything. When I think about somebody who is king, I think about somebody who is in charge, who got that, who got that position of authority uh, because of who they were and how they lived. When you understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for humanity, what he has done for you and I, and, and I want to do my best to help us understand that today, it makes a difference in how we submit ourselves to his authority and how we submit ourselves to his lordship and kingship in our life. You see, the invitation to allow Jesus to reign in our lives as Lord and King really is an invitation to a better outcome. And Jesus is going to extend an invitation to us today. He's going to... He's going to extend a a message to us today that we all need to hear because we're all in the same boat as human beings. The Bible says, for all have sinned. You know what that means? That means there's nobody that's perfect. Jesus is the only one who ever lived a perfect life. And the only way that he could do it is because he was all God and all man at the same time. So let me ask you a question today. If you were Jesus and you were going to publicly reveal yourself to humanity, and you were going to show up on the scene, what would be the first thing that you would say? Think of all the things that Jesus could have said when Jesus uh, showed up on the scene in the first century world. He was about 30 years old, and he's about to begin his public ministry. Think of all the things that he could have said. Remember, The Jews in the first century were looking for their Messiah. 
They were waiting on the one that God was going to send them who would rule and reign as their Messiah, as their Lord, as their king. The problem is they didn't understand that God's kingdom is different from a world's kingdom. That the teachings and the principles of God are different from the way that the, the, the world works. And, and they actually missed Jesus when he showed up on the scene. But what do you think would be the first thing that you would say as, as Jesus? How about just a simple invitation? Hey, everybody, it's me. Hey, y'all, that's the North Carolina Jesus. Or maybe in your, in your silky smooth, what I call Jim Nance voice, hello, friends. Let me teach you about the golden rule. Let me tell you how you should live, that kind of thing. What, what would you say to your audience if, if you were Jesus and you were about to announce yourself as, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as the Son of God, as the Messiah that they have been waiting on? Can I tell you something? None of those things describe what Jesus said. And in Matthew chapter number four, verse number 17, we have the very first public words that Jesus announced publicly. If you'll read prior to chapter number four, you'll find that Matthew begins telling us about Jesus' birth, and he goes through the whole Christmas story, and it's a great read. And then you'll find where Jesus is about 30 years old, and he has this encounter with this guy named John the Baptist out in the Jordan Valley, and it's time for Jesus to be baptized and to begin his public ministry. And Jesus has some specific one-on-one -on -one interaction with John the Baptist about who he is. And you can read about that in Matthew chapter number two, Matthew chapter number three, and you'll see some red letters. And those red letters are the words of Jesus, but they're specifically with John the Baptist. And then after Jesus is baptized, the Bible says that the Spirit of God led him out into the wilderness, led him out into the desert where he would fast and pray for 40 days and spend time with his father to prepare himself for his three and a half year public ministry. And the Bible says that he had an encounter with the enemy, with Satan, who tried to, uh, to stop what he was doing. And that you'll be able to record some red letters in the first part of Matthew chapter number four, where Jesus had some conversation with the enemy. But the very first public um, message that we have from Jesus to a public audience, which would have been the first century Jews, is recorded in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 17. And here's what it says. It says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. And then the next phrase is all red letters, which means it's from Jesus himself. Here's the very first word he says. He says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That word repent right there is not a popular message today. It's not one that our world wants to hear. It's not one that we even want to hear in church today. But it was the very first message that Jesus had for his audience in the first century. See, Jesus knew that this was a popular message. It wasn't going to be a popular message, but it would be a necessary message. It wasn't popular because we know it eventually got him crucified. But it was necessary because man needed to understand, mankind needed to understand what sin was all about. 
They needed to understand the love of God the Father. They needed to understand that God had made a way for us to be reconciled to God. And Jesus was the one that stepped out of heaven and came to this earth as all God and all man at the same time with this message. And the message is repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. It really is an invitation to a better outcome in our lives. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I just got so sick and tired trying to figure it out on my own. And Jesus extended an invitation to me one day. He said, Brian, how about trying it my way? How about trusting me with your life? If you back up to Matthew chapter number three, let me show you how this message of repentance and and the kingdom of heaven work together. In Matthew chapter number three, we'll have the words of John the Baptist as he was engaged in his public ministry. If you know anything about John the Baptist, John the Baptist was the one that God sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus, to announce that the Messiah was coming. And in Matthew chapter three, verses one and two, John the Baptist has the same message to his audience that Jesus had to his audience. Listen to what he says in Matthew three, one and two. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Same exact verbiage. In Mark chapter one, in verse number 15, Mark describes the encounter uh, that we read in Matthew chapter four, verse 17. It says, the time is fulfilled. This is red letters. This is the words of Jesus. The time is fulfilled. In other words, I'm here. The Messiah has come and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. What is the good news? The good news is the the message or the story of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, after Jesus had died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and resurrected from the grave, he gathered his apostles and and his disciples and his followers on a hillside outside of Jerusalem. He said, guys, I got to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's talking about heaven. He said, but but while I'm gone, I'm going to send somebody to help you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you. And he's going to empower you. He's going to lead you. He's going to help you. He's He's going to reveal truth to you. So go on back to Jerusalem and wait on the gift of the Holy Spirit. We know in Acts chapter number two, the event when the Holy Spirit came on the scene is what the Bible calls the day of Pentecost. And it's a celebration that is still celebrated within the nation of Israel today. That was when God spent the Holy Spirit and he showed up in that room with those 120 people or so is what the book of Acts records. And the Bible says they were filled with the Spirit of God. And they're wondering what this means and what this is all about. And they don't understand it. Uh, uh, But then Peter, the apostle, stands up. And he talks about what Jesus had told them. He said, this is, this is what we've, been, we've seen prophesied. This is what Jesus told us was going to happen. And he talked about Jesus' death. And he talked about Jesus' burial. And he talked about Jesus' resurrection. He talked about the gift of salvation that God had made available to everybody through Jesus. And the Bible says that the people, the audience that heard Peter's message, they were cut to the heart and they asked this question, what must we do? How do we respond to this? What must we do? And in Acts chapter two, verse 38, here's what Peter says. Very first word out of his mouth, repent. Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
you'll travel on through the book of Acts, which is a, a, a record of the early church being established in the known world, you'll find a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And he rolls up in a town called Athens. Athens. And he starts to have conversation with some political leaders and some powerful people in the city. And he begins to talk to them about who the one true God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus had done in his life and what Jesus had done when he died on a cross and was buried in a tomb and resurrected from the grave. And, and they responded the same way. What is this message about? And in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, Paul says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance. In other words, you didn't know about this guy that I'm talking about at one time. God's overlooking that now. God now commands all people everywhere. Here's his message to repent because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man that he has appointed. That's a reference to Jesus. And he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The apostle Paul saying, guys, just as sure as God raised his son Jesus from the dead, and I'm a witness of it because I met him face to face on the road to Damascus, just as surely as God raised him from the dead, this same Jesus is gonna come back, King of kings and Lord of lords one day. He's gonna establish his perfect kingdom once and for all. But in the meantime, you all can be a part of his kingdom if you will repent of your sins and turn to him. That's the message that Paul, that Paul shared with the folks in Athens. I just finished a a Bible reading exercise that um, I really felt like God wanted me to do over the last few months. And it had been several years since I've read through the Bible. So I felt like a few months ago, God was asking me to read through the New Testament systematically. And uh, I made a commitment to read through the New Testament in, in 100 days. And I just finished this last week uh, with, uh, with that 100-day reading plan. And so in the last couple of weeks, I've been reading in the book of Revelation because I just read from Matthew right straight on through the book of uh, Revelation in the New Testament part of my Bible. So I, I've been in Revelation for the last couple of weeks, and, and, and I wasn't planning to use these two verses, but when I came across them, uh, it was just like God said, this is what I'm talking about when it comes to my relationship with my people and when it comes to my relationship with my church. And in Revelation chapter 2, you'll find in chapter 3, uh, John is communicating some things that Jesus wanted him to say to the churches of Jesus' day. And listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. This is what Jesus said. This is red letters. This is what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in the first century. He said, remember then how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the works that you did at first. In other words, he's saying, you know what? You started out great. You were doing good. But then something happened. You got full of yourself. You started doing your own thing. You started drifting away. He says, come back, repent, and do the works that you did at first. Otherwise, he said, I will come to you, and I will remove your lampstand from its place. And he says it again, unless you repent. Now, if you know anything about Bible reading and Bible study, it's really important anytime God says anything. It's really important anytime Jesus says anything. But when he says the same thing more than once, in this case, he says it twice in one verse, you know what he's really saying? You need to pay attention. This is important. Uh, this, is not a, this is not something to take lightly. You need to really understand this. 
Listen to what he said to the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter three and verse three. He said, remember therefore what you have received and heard. What did they receive and heard? They received the good news of the gospel message. They, they placed their faith and trust in Jesus' finished work on Calvary's cross. They've been forgiven of their sins. He says, he says remember therefore what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. What's he saying there? He's saying, keep a short list on, on, your, on, your, on, your, on your wrongdoings. Keep a short tab on your sin nature because it's something that we're going we're gonna to battle as, as human beings. And, and the thought that I had in reading those two verses as I wound down my reading plan is this right here. Thinking in terms of this passage of scripture and this message uh, to begin this, this particular talk. Uh, my thought was this. If Jesus thought that that message was important to the churches in his day, shouldn't it be important to churches in our day today? 2,000 years later. And if the message of repentance was something that they needed to hear and Jesus had just left them, um, isn't it a message that we need to hear today? Isn't it something that we need to consider today? And I know when we hear that word repentance, we automatically think about the hellfire and the brimstone preacher. We automatically think about the street preacher out there who, who, who's just who's just browbeating, browbeating people, everybody that walks by. And, and, and I don't agree with all of that theology and that thinking. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is a message that Jesus taught. And it is part of kingdom life. And it is something that we need to understand so that we can have a better outcome in our life. On the flip side of that, here's the good news. Listen to what Jesus said happens in heaven when we do repent. In Luke chapter 15 and verse number seven, he says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Think about that for just a second. Let's just imagine that in this section right here, there's only one person and that one person is far from God. And they're living life for themselves. And they made a mess of, the, of their life. And in this section right over here, there's 99 others of us. And, and we've asked for forgiveness of our sins. We've entered into a relationship with Jesus. And, and we've made him our Lord and our Savior. And we're trying to follow him. We're trying to live our life to the best of our ability in a way that honors and glorifies him. Doesn't mean we always get it right. And we do make mistakes from time to time. But for the most part, uh, we're, we're persevering. And, and, and we're, we're keeping Jesus front and center as much as we possibly can. You know what the Bible says? God's much more interested in this one little person over here who, who knows they need him than he is all these 99 people over here who've got it figured out already. And our job as citizens of the kingdom is to go after as many of those people that we possibly can and help them realize and understand who Jesus is. But we can't be effective in our witness if we're not willing to allow Jesus to rule and reign as Lord and King in our lives. In our last series, Trent also talked about um, the idea between our happiness and our holiness. 
And that God is much more interested in, in making us holy than he is making us happy. Remember Trent talking about that a couple weeks ago? You know what the first step to holiness is in our relationship with God? Repentance. The first step to holiness is saying, God, I'm sorry. I know I've blown it. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. So what does it mean to repent? Very simply, it means I turn away from my sins and I follow Jesus as Lord and King in my life. I turn away from my sins. Listen, we're all sinners. The Bible makes that really clear. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. Another passage of Scripture says, There is none righteous, no, not one. We're all in the same boat. But thankfully, Jesus did something to take away our sin. And all he asks us to do is to come to faith in him by repenting and asking for his forgiveness. And if you want to look, if you want to, if you want to read what it looks like uh, to live according to kingdom principles, I would encourage you to pick up our spiritual growth challenge today at our connection center or download it online. If you're watching online and, and read Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six and Matthew chapter number seven this week, and you'll see what it means to live according to kingdom principles. Let me give you some bad news and I'm going to give you some good news as we wrap up, okay? The bad news is the standard that Jesus set for kingdom living is too high for any of us to achieve. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, God's standard is perfection. He's the only one who's perfect. We're not. We can never, ever, ever. We can't go to church enough. We can't read our Bible enough. We can't serve enough. We can't give enough. We can't do enough to achieve God's perfect standard. The bad news is Jesus set the standard too high. But the good news is he said, if you will repent, if you will allow me to take your stuff to take your baggage, to take your sin, to take your faults, to tell your, take your failures, to take your hangups, to take your hurts, to take your habits. If you will allow me to take it, I will exchange your unrighteousness for my perfect righteousness. And when we repent and we choose to allow Jesus Christ to rule and reign in our life as King and Lord. That's exactly what he does. He exchanges our unrighteousness for his perfect righteousness. Listen to what Matthew, or excuse me, Romans chapter 5, verse 19 says. It says, For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. Now let's unpack that for just a minute. For just as through one man's disobedience, anybody know who that one man was? Adam. We can say Adam and Eve. Ladies, you don't get off the hook either, okay? Uh, uh, mankind, because man chose to disobey God, when he created them and placed them in a perfect environment, they chose to disobey God and do what God said to do. It says, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Who's the many, class? That's us. That's everybody who's born into this world. From the time of Adam and Eve, all throughout human history, because they disobeyed, you and I are born into this world as sinners with a sin nature. So also, here's the good news, though the one man's obedience, the many, or excuse me, through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So who's this man? 
Jesus. Because Jesus was obedient to step out of heaven in all of its glory and put on flesh and blood and become a human being like you and I and willingly submit himself to God's plan of redemption for mankind, which is his death, his burial, and his resurrection through that one man's obedience, the many, who's that again? That's us. What does it say? Will be made righteous. I don't know about you. I'll take that trade off all day long. That if I will repent, if I will ask for forgiveness, if I will confess my sins, that in that moment, Jesus is going to exchange my sin nature, my stuff, my filth, my guilt, my shame, my hurt, my pain. Jesus is going to take all that and he's going to, he's going to replace it with his perfect nature. I'll take that trade off all day long. And as I was thinking through how to illustrate that, that here's the best I could come up with. I think it makes the point. I brought my, my camo jacket with me today because usually when I put this jacket on, I'm going outdoors and I'm going to get dirty and I'm going to get messy and it don't matter because that's what this is for. So we're going to let this camo jacket today represent our sin, all of our stuff our mistakes, our faults, our failures, our bad attitudes, everything that is broken as, as, as human beings is represented by, by this jacket. and It's dirty. It needs to be cleaned. It needs to be cleansed. The Bible says when I come to Jesus like this and I ask him, to forgive me of all this and, to, and I repent, I turn from all this and I lay it aside. Bible says in that moment, he replaces all of that with his perfect, sinless righteousness and it doesn't cost me anything. He clothes me, what scripture says, in his righteousness. And from the moment that I repent of my sins and exchange this for this, from that moment on, here's what the Bible says. Every time I mess up and screw up and get it wrong and live in the flesh and say things I shouldn't say and do things I shouldn't do, because of what Jesus has done for me, when I do those things, God doesn't see this anymore. All he sees is this. And I don't know about you, church, but I'll take that trade off all day long. So let me ask you a question. And this is a question that I ask many people a lot of times. Do you have a better story? Do you have a better story? The Bible teaches that if we will live as kingdom citizens, God has done everything possible for us to be forgiven of our sins, to be made right with God, and to know that we will have help on this side of eternity to live our best life possible. 
But on top of that, after they put us six feet in the ground, when Jesus comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Bible says he's going to resurrect our bodies. We're going to get a new body and we're going to be made whole and right and perfect forever. We're going to spend eternity in a perfect place called heaven forever and ever for all of eternity. Do you have a better story? If you got a better story, I'm going to be right outside the audience. I'd love to hear it. If you don't have a better story, I'm going to ask you to consider the message of Jesus' kingdom today. And that is, repent of your sins, turn to Jesus, and let him be Lord and King of your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, um, the invitation is very simple. Will you trust Jesus with your life? Will you trust that because he proved he was God when he resurrected from the grave, that he can forgive you of your sins and cleanse you and trade your unrighteousness for his perfect righteousness? The Bible says that's an attitude of the heart called salvation. And if the attitude of your heart today is that, you know what, I realize that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I don't understand it all, but God, today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to come into my life. I repent. I know I'm a, sin, a sinner. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to spend eternity with you. If that's the attitude of your heart, the Bible says you can be saved today. If you are a Christ follower, you know how, how we struggle with our flesh on a regular basis. Bible says, if you'll confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And again, for our relationship to be restored, we have to repent of our sins and ask God to forgive us. And if we'll do our part, he'll do his part. So my final question for you today is, what do you need to repent of? We're going to sing one more song together. Our band's going to lead us in one of my favorite songs. It's called Come to the altar. The altar is a place where you can bring your stuff. You can leave it at the feet of Jesus and know that he'll take it. And he'll exchange your sin nature for his perfect nature. If you need to make that decision today, I want to encourage you to use this song. And have that conversation with God. Confess whatever he's shown you today. And know that when you leave here today, you can be in a right relationship as a kingdom citizen so God I come to you today and Lord uh, thank you for your word thank you for um, God the freedom and liberty that you have given me today to to share your word and God I know that uh, your word is so much um, clearer uh, God than anything I could ever communicate and I thank you that it never returns void in our life so God I don't know what you're going to accomplish in somebody's life today but I just believe that uh, Lord, you're going you're gonna to save somebody today. God, I believe that you're going uh, to restore a relationship that's been broken. And Lord, we thank you for, um, for forgiveness. We thank you for the finished work that you accomplished on Calvary's cross for us. And Lord, I confess today, Lord, well, I failed you. And Lord, especially being apathetic in, in my witness Lord, that's something you've been showing me lately. And, and Lord, I just want you to know I'm sorry. 
Lord, I really want to help point people to you. And I know that I, I don't take those opportunities to, to share my story like I should. And God, I'm asking you today to forgive me of that. And Lord, if you'll give me opportunities, Lord, I'll be a better witness and a testimony for you. And I help people understand and realize how much you love them. That you've made a way for them to know you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that you'd help us all to surrender and submit to your leadership and your lordship in our lives today. For with all these things we pray and ask in your name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand to your feet and sing with us this last song? And This is your time with God. You be obedient to do what God has put on your heart today.